0: Well, welcome back to Collateral Banter, episode 41. I'm going to skip 40 because iTunes took my first episode and marked it down as number two. I don't know why they did that, but they did. So I'm going to skip 40 and I'll make this episode 41 so it all lines up correctly on iTunes podcast. I don't know why that happened. I can't really explain it, but I'm not going to really fix it now. I've been away for a little bit, in case people haven't realized that. I had some time off and did some reading, was doing other projects that I'm working on, was busy at work. So, yeah, that, that's what I've been up to. But in the meantime, oof, so many great things happening in America. It's just part globally, oof. Oof, can it get any better? Can the chaos get any better? That's my question to people. Can the chaos get better? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. In case people are wondering, I'm being sarcastic here. (laughs) I tend to do that. I tend to do that actually quite a lot. I'm oftentimes sarcastic. That's, That's just who I am. So I've been recording this podcast now for a year. I'm just blown away by how much I have talked about Impending doom that is at present incoming for us, and how right I've been. I go back to an episode I did nine months ago or so about the global economy and the chaos that is merging from it. I mean, we're here, we're here, we're already there. It, the chaos and the global economy is here, and people should be prepared for what we are about to encounter. Uh, everybody's already pricing in a recession. People are talking about economic slowdowns. No, it will be a recession. America has now been growing for the past ten years consecutively. The markets and businesses are already starting to cut back. So look, can I predict if it will be a recession, which is two consecutive quarters of contraction, economic contraction? I don't know, but I'm going to bet on it. I think we're we're beginning to see fractures in the global economy begin to grow, right? We've seen these fractures now for a while. And everybody talks about China, but that's not the only fracture. And I'm going to mention a few others. But China is a big one. Trump was threatening tariffs. China threatens retaliations, won't buy agriculture goods from the United States, willing to put tariffs on American goods and cancel orders. They have weapons too. They can also devalue their currency, which they did, which uh, gives them leverage in exports and makes American imports into China more expensive. So um, quite a clever move. They're having their own economic difficulties. Um, I, I got to say something about Hong Kong, because just uh, I don't know how that's going to end. But it is certainly uh, a brewing crisis for the Chinese, and uh, they don't want to send in the military and crack down. I think that those images would tarnish China's reputation globally. It would scare away foreign investors. It could hurt China economically. But if the Chinese have to play the card, I don't see why they wouldn't. So uh, I think if they feel like you're going to shut down traffic or the airports and cause economic damage, they're willing to use that card. And they already have military installations inside Hong Kong but it's pretty incredible, actually. The one of the groups uh, I actually wanted to interview a while back um, on the podcast, uh, but I didn't get a chance to email them, um, and obviously now it's too late. But I, I am interested about those groups in China that those groups in China that are are fighting for civil liberties and. So far, just basic civil liberties in Hong Kong. I haven't seen too many ask for independence completely from China. So they're asking to maintain their status as an independent uh, entity within China. And, and they have slowly lost civil liberties throughout the years. And I think this is one of those crises that um, will be difficult to manage. But creating chaos – is what is going on around the world. And I'm sure uh, this just adds to the feud between the United States and China, um, that there is an open rebellion in Hong Kong um, for chi- against Chinese uh, authority. And that has interesting implications into North Korea. But okay, so that is the global economy uh, today uh, in terms of China and the United States. But people are forgetting that Brexit is upon us, okay? And the date for that is coming up, uh, the end of October, October 31st. And right now, if we were to listen to the headlines and listen to the politicians talking both out of the European Union and Boris Johnson, um, it's gonna happen and it will be a hard Brexit, it will be a no deal Brexit. I don't think the Europeans are going to blink on this one. They might go into meetings late September, early October, but they hold all the cards, right? They don't care what happens to Great Britain. They're going to think Great Britain's the one that's going to pay the, the most economically if they do a hard Brexit, no-deal Brexit. So they're still the largest economy globally in the world. They're still the largest economy in the world. And they don't care that UK is the one leaving uh, on a no-deal Brexit, right? Uh, there will be uh, chaos from that, right? Imported goods into the UK will have to go through inspections, customs. Um, we'll see what happens there. Already I saw the headlines here is the UK economy is contracting uh, for the first time uh, since the – uh, great Recession of two thousand eight um, and you also have begun to see a slowdown actually a recession in Germany, um, which obviously has implications for europe um, look there there are a lot of things happening globally that people should be worried about i I think this is going to have a major impact. On these far right wing populist governments. Um, they might double down on their rhetoric. But if they're governing today and we go through another recession, they might get the blame for it. You'll see internal feuds within the far right. Some are not pushing in hard enough to the right. Other ones think the answers is pushing more to the center. And you'll see that same fracture that's been happening to the elites happen to this uh, right wing populist governments. So it, it, it will be interesting to see how that all happens uh, between now and uh, the summer of 2020. So it, it will be very interesting to see that fallout. But you see that many countries are in trouble. I think if this economic trend continues, and from what I foresee, it likely will continue this year, um, uh, what are the implications for the elections and for Donald Trump? Well, I, I will say this. If this time next year we're reading articles about a significant economic slowdown, Trump isn't going to win re-election. Uh look, I I think he has uh mastered in some ways this social media media saturated world um whereas a lot of politicians uh don't have uh his his control over that means. Um a lot like FDR with the radio, right? He he's a uh, Trump is able to cultivate a I guess, a cult of personality. I don't know how else to describe it on social media among his followers and his base. They'll stick with him. But if he's been promising that he'll fix the economy and the economy begins to tumble, he is president. He is likely to get blamed for it. And he can try to blame Obama. He can try to blame everybody else, but people will punish him for it. What transpires in 2020. But this is setting up for a very interesting election in about a year i know a lot of people like tony blair bill clinton and others thought we had solved the business cycle there was just going to be permanent growth all the time and uh, clearly that has not happened and uh but the scariest moment okay and the reason why i wanted to come back to this because it is a somewhat of a repeat of what i've been talking about it is negative interest rates are are coming are coming. Negative interest rates are going to be here. Yes, the Fed has raised rates over the last two years, but they're still pretty low. And to combat the recession, they're going to have to drop them basically to zero. Today is uh, August 14th. Citibank's stock crashed. And look, when it's zero interest rates, bank stocks again get hit. So you drop it to zero, 0% interest rates, people are going to start refinancing their homes, and there's going to be supposedly that. That rebuild, but people are going to take on more debt. People can refinance their debt. Uh, The banks take the hit from that. We'll see how, how that will affect the economy. The thing is, people don't just need credit. Credit is an important part of the economy when you invest in your future. People just can't use credit, though. They need wages and income to pay off their debts. And that's where this economy, in my view, is problematic right the the lack of wage and income growth and how healthcare student loan debt and other debts that people have have sucked away so much of people's disposable income that it makes life much more difficult and look previous generations had heavily subsidized a nearly free university could work a summer job and pay tuition fees and books with a summer job now the cost of universities. And there's no way you can do that. No way. Look, you, it's hard to compare it to the past, but some generations had it much easier uh, than than the current generation. So yeah, it it will be an exciting uh, year. I think. Uh, expect the unexpected. Expect things to unravel. I don't know if this is going to sound terrible, but I'll I'll say it, and it could impact me very very negatively. I could lose my job, but I hope the economy tumbles. I'll say it. I hope the economy suffers. If that's what it takes to remove these conservative populist radicals from power, then I'm not hoping that people lose their jobs because the cost and the human life is terrible. People become depressed. People might not return to the workforce. But society today still hasn't dealt with the structural changes that are going on, right? Not just what Andrew Yang is talking about with the universal basic income, although that should be part of a larger conversation, but the institutions that that exist today are not dealing with the trauma and the issues that our societies encounter in real life. And I think that is part of the overall political economic crisis that we're seeing, right? And what do I mean by that? The institutions haven't adapted. It's like, look, people are dropping out of the labor force, right? We have a low labor participation rate, right? People aren't just losing their jobs and feeling confident that they can come back and work a job, right? People are losing their jobs and then either not finding a job or applying for a job and making a third less, a half less. There's a significant pool of Americans that aren't able to make enough money. I I heard on the radio today from a guy who offers financial advice to callers who call in. He talked about 58% of Americans, he said, essentially were broke. They would have to sell something if they incurred a $400 debt. I mean, people are barely holding on. And I argue it's been this attack on labor. It's a thing that we did and you were rewarded for it. You weren't necessarily going to make you know two hundred and fifty thousand dollars unless you were i don't know a well paid scientist or a high powered lawyer out of New York or something like that. I mean most people in America you know i actually can find this statistic here. Most people in America are making less than what thirty 000, forty thousand dollars a year. That's how people are surviving. And as the cost of living increases, right, everything, in cities, even in rural areas, things are, you're not earning as much. And yes, things are cheaper. But if you're not earning as much, you know, as the cost of a local uh, university, things have become more expensive. There's been incurred costs. Now, you would hopefully have people be smart about their money and save here and save there. But truthfully, people don't know exactly where to cut. It's a difficult decision to make. What, what is the thing you're going to give up? So a lot of Americans are cutting back on their prescription drugs. And Look, clearly I'm in favor of that. I'm in favor of cutting down the prescription drug prices by having Medicare negotiate prices, import them from Canada as well. But what will that do? That will clearly hurt the interest of the pharmaceutical industry and the booming biotech industry That exists here in Massachusetts, actually in Boston, pretty large sector of the economy. You hurt their profits. They're going to have to cut back on R&D, research, hiring and all those things. Yes, people will save money from that. That's a positive thing. But at the same time, those are profits that are lost. Look, I'm not crying for them that they're not going to be able to invest their hundreds of millions of dollars on drugs that we probably don't need all the time or – uh, well for a large part of drugs are needed clearly some are uh, life-saving drugs but oftentimes the drugs that are being pro- that are produced are uh, not necessarily beneficial there are things people can do um, lifestyle changes right that that's the difficulty of it people don't want to sacrifice and make changes that are oftentimes difficult that doesn't mean that every drug that people are taking is um, bad for them, or if they'd made lifestyle changes, they could fix it. No, there's obviously a, a issue that goes on in people's lives that they cannot control that are genetic or other traumas they've suffered in life, and medication saves their life. I know that. That's clear. That's basic. But yeah, there's a big part of, of healthcare industry um, that people are taking drugs uh, that they wouldn't need to if they were eating better. There was food... Their diets changed. The quantity of food changed that they consume on a daily basis and the types of food. It's a difficult thing. Look, it was difficult for me. I've had to battle weight in, in my life. And only in the last five years did I become a little overweight and I've lost a lot of it. And I've kept it off. And so that's the good news. But dealing with it for two years, three years, it's a difficult challenge. It catches up on you and you don't even realize it until people make comments about it. And then you begin to see like, oh, wow, I really got to make a change. What was I doing? And for me, it was, you know, overeating, not exercising. So those are the two things that I do now is I, I eat a lot less at dinner time, eat a lot more for breakfast and lunch. And I feel great. And I exercise almost four or five times a week. So look, I'm just saying that that, that is something that people need to do. Now, here's the thing. Americans are overworked underpaid, and they don't have time (laughs) to exercise and do all those things, which is why a program like the universal basic income that somebody is talking about would be beneficial to people. I don't think it would solve all their problems because $1,000 a month doesn't go a long way unless you're frugal and smart, especially if you live in the cities or even most of the suburbs. But it does offer people a – does offer – some base support in case people want to work not full-time but part-time maybe more people come to the market uh, but come back to the labor market and find a part-time job maybe that pays well plus they get the universal basic income and maybe they're happy about it i mean i think that that's what been that's what the results are and also people can work full-time and still get the universal basic income and look I worry that people are going to use the universal basic income to eliminate all the other social programs that are needed, and that that won't fix the problems. But I think that that's been an appeal to those who are on the more conservative-leaning route that think that, hey, why don't we just combine this and give people just cash? Look, in some ways, negative interest rates would be very close to giving people cash. People have talked about helicopter money, just throwing money at a helicopter, just giving people money to stimulate consumption. And it all depends on who you're giving it to. I think that's been pretty well established. If you give people tax cuts and they're already wealthy and rich, they're likely to save it. They're likely – they don't need to spend it on current needs. And so, yeah, targeting large sections of America, 150 million Americans – in giving them back money or giving them higher wages, not just the minimum wage, but higher wages overall, tax credits or however how, however way you can do it to give people back money that they've been working harder and harder for and earning less, which has been a, more than a 40-plus year, nearly 50-year struggle in America since the 70s. It, it's really traumatized, I think, the American uh, worker, consumer. And you've seen the changes in technology, right? As fewer people work unionized jobs where their wages are higher and they get, you know, yearly increases. People are working Uberized jobs. People are working, you know, whenever they want, but there's a lot less pay. There's a lot less job security and there's a lot less pension and retirement savings. And so they've created a class of people that are on the brink. And I think when you have that as a society – and you have a recession, you're going to get significant blowback. That people, I think this recession will will change people's culture and outlook on life. And maybe I, I would have been saying the same thing had been had I been podcasting 2008. But I think look the look I, I will cite this again, and I cited this last time when I was talking about the global economy. And this is an article from CNBC, so you know it's not being just published by some radical outlet. This is the business press, which I read constantly on a daily basis, Forbes, Bloomberg, CNBC, whatever it takes. Here's something I, I read, and it caught my eye when it was first said, that J.P. Morgan's top quant warns next crisis to feature flash crashes and social upheaval not seen since 1968. Again, that is just his opinion, and uh, he could be wrong about that. But I, I think things are have been so bent out of shape. I think people feel like uh, things need to change. And I think the next recession will cause pe- uh, processes that are already underway to accelerate. And look, things that people are, don't expect to, to have been part of the political lexicon, um, a person like Bernie Sanders before 2008, I don't think he would have gotten the popular appeal, but now he does. And a lot of his ideas now have become mainstream because I think the elites fear about what's going on in the world today. So yeah, I, I again I just want people this article by the JP Morgan top quant guy warning about social people not seen since nineteen sixty eight was published on September fifth of twenty eighteen. So yeah, it's about a year old. Look, I, I think people need to set need to realize that things are changing uh rapidly and people should be prepared for it. But I just wanna let people know august 15th i will have another episode and i will have a guest on the show so i appreciate you listening